Well, welcome to the Future Church podcast with me, Anthony Delaney. I am so grateful for everybody who listens, especially anybody who likes us, uh, likes us enough to be able to subscribe to the podcast, to be able to uh, share it perhaps with somebody else or gives us a review. That's the way you can kind of pay us back. We don't have people on here sponsoring or anything like that. Um, but grateful for comments I get from people on social media as well who are enjoying listening to these Future Church podcasts. Um, we have amazing guests. I think one of the things that God has gifted me with is uh, a whole group of fantastic friends from around the world who in various ways um, are, uh, I've described them as the three E kind of people. There's, there's an eclectic group of people, so they're not all the same. There's uh, eccentric uh, in a good way, in the sense that they're doing something that's a little bit different. Uh, and uh, finally, um, they see the ecclesia, the, the church beyond church on a Sunday morning, although including that, how does uh, the kingdom of God begin to impact all kinds of different spheres in terms of education, in terms of uh, business, uh, as well as the church, you name it. Um, and one of the best people I can think of to speak to that is actually going to be uh, a guest this year again speaking at launch this year which I encourage you to go to launchcatalyst.org and, and, and check it out and maybe book and join us this year one of the keynote speakers is my friend William van der Blumen uh, who's uh, from um, Fort Worth and uh, we have been known each other for a number of years uh, and have worked on various things together uh, to be able to help different churches. It's been my great privilege to get to know him better as the years have progressed. And uh, so it's a delight to be able to welcome you today onto the Future Church podcast. Hi to William van der Blumen. Hey, Anthony. Thanks for having me on. It is, uh, uh, I'm glad to be among the eccentric. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nothing personal, I'd say. <laughs> um, so, um, I mean, some people may have known you, especially if you've been at launch. Uh, I've heard you before. Um, I know that you were a, a pastor, a senior pastor in the U.S. When when I first met you many years ago, uh, you, you just kind of started a different kind of a business, which is now named after you. And I know that basically you say that if anybody tries to spell your name on Google, they're going to basically find your uh, your business and what it is that you're now doing. And you've been helping people initially with um, job searches for senior pastors. And then from there, now it's widened out so much more than that. It's a really interesting story. Maybe you're going to tell it a lot better than I could. Just give us the, the lowdown on vanderblumen.com. Yeah, well, I, I, thanks. I'll, uh, I'll try and keep it brief. I am a recovering uh, preacher, so I ramble on and on, usually with three parts to the story, all starting with the same letter. <laughs> yeah. So um, I was a senior pastor at a very young age, in the, by U.S. standards anyway. Um, I came to First Presbyterian Houston, which is the oldest church in the city of Houston. And I was 31 years old. And, you know, we had, I don't know, about 5,000 adults and a couple thousand kids and a school that was up also a part of the church. It was a big, big deal. Um, I was in so far over my head. I didn't know. <laughs> you know, I was 31, so I knew everything. I don't know if anybody can relate to that, but uh, I, I don't know as much now. And I, I now see how uh, how high the water was above my head, and I didn't even know it. 
but uh, stayed there about uh, five, six years and then left. Um, unfortunately, went through a divorce, which I would not recommend, but uh, found myself a single dad with four kids and and frankly, not in any kind of shape to lead people spiritually. And uh, the church was lovely to me. No, no, uh, they provided in a very kind way. Um, but I went into work eventually at an oil and gas company here in Houston, um, which is just what we do. And uh, they, were, they were putting me through a management rotation program where I would learn one department and then for one year and then learn another and learn another and so forth. And so my first rotation was in uh, human resources, HR, um, where I learned words like being made redundant. <laughs> I love that. It's so much you you guys on your side of the pond are more elegant than we are. It's so much better than saying you're fired. But uh, learned all these things. And the CEO at the time is a fairly large company, Fortune 200, um, said, OK, I've been CEO nine years. It's probably time to find my successor. And so they hired this thing called a search firm. I've never heard of anything like that. And uh, uh, 90 days later, they had their next CEO. So in, in my world, the church, First Presbyterian Houston, which is a great church, great people, um, should be a bit of a catch of a job. Not that that's why people who follow Jesus look for jobs, but it's a, it's a pretty good job. Uh, it took them three years to find me. And then I stayed five or six, and it took them almost three years to find my successor. And so I'm looking at, you know, um, the big, mean oil and gas company. There's no greater death star in the universe, right, than oil and gas. And in 90 days, they got a new CEO. And then I'm looking at First Presbyterian Church Houston, 12 years. They had a pastor for about half that time, and they were looking for about half that time. And And I guess in hindsight, I can say it cleanly. I guess I just started to get a bit of a holy discontent asking myself, why does the business world have a better solution than the bride of Jesus? And so I uh, came home and told my wife one day, I said, I think I'm supposed to quit my job and start something new for churches and try and build something like what I'd seen in this search firm. And she looked at me and said, oh, yeah, that's great because churches love new ideas, right? And uh, she should have said, no, go back to work. We have six children to feed. We just got married in, oh, in six months and had a new house. And uh, instead of saying something sensible like that, she said, well, let's give it a try. And so she probably should get the credit for starting the, the, the work that we're doing now. So, and, and it was the fall of 2008, which I don't know how it was in the UK, but in the US, that was not a really great time to be quitting your job and starting something new for churches so uh, fast forward now over 15 years and um, God's been so good he's opened doors um, we just happen to be in the right place at the right time if you if you haven't if you're listening today and you haven't read the book outliers I'd strongly suggest it Malcolm Gladwell um, he basically talks about phenomenons in business and arts and culture that really are a convergence of a lot of uh, right place, right time. And, and I think that's kind of where we were. We've, we've now completed 3,000 searches for churches and we've and started, as you mentioned, Anthony, with uh, churches and helping them find their pastor that then branched out to 
really any of the top staff in a church. A lot of them have an executive director or a business administrator, that sort of thing. Um, and then we started saying, well, what about faith-based schools? And I love that you, your three E's, you have people that have the ecclesia, the, the gathering or the called out on lots of ways. to define. But we started to say, oh, wow, the church, capital C church, is bigger than the things that get together on Sunday mornings. It's, it's so much bigger. So um, that led to serving nonprofits like Compassion and World Vision and uh, long, long list. And uh, even to some extent, some some values based businesses here in the U.S. that are driven by their faith. So um, that's been cool. And, and along the way, we picked up all kinds of other things. We we learned how to assess what people should get paid in their jobs that required collecting a lot of data for a long time. We we studied places that were winning best places to work awards and started to learn about culture um, way back before it was a huge buzzword. It was we were in the mid tens like 2015 16 started studying it and wrote a book um we do a lot of succession planning really anything you know i i don't think there's anything that slows the work of the church down more than people problems on a staff on a staff so if we can solve a people problem we can help the church go farther and faster and that that's sort of the sort of the way things are and and i i wish i could tell you that i'm deeply involved in all the work, but I'm trying to make this last past me. So I have a better team around me than me. And uh, they let me hang out and, and uh, try to stay relevant. <laughs> Fantastic. So you, you subtly corrected me there in that you're not in Fort Worth, you're in Houston. That's right. That's where you're based from. No, te it's all Texas. Greatest it's country all Texas. on Earth. It's a big place. It's a big place. Yeah. I think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, Okay, fantastic. Some people might hear that and think, okay, well, I can understand in business, like in oil and gas and those kind of things, you're going to want to do your due diligence. You're going to want to make sure that you're getting the best guy or girl to be the CEO and you're going to do psychometric tests or you're going to do all those different kinds of things. But for churches, isn't that like a little bit unspiritual? Isn't it just best that yeah. we go away, a few of us? Yeah. We write up a little list of the things we want, and then we we pray, uh, and yep. then God will send the right person because we prayed really hard. Uh, and yeah, as I say, you know, just just what about that? You know, isn't as I say, the, yeah. I could just hear somebody listening to this asking that question. Isn't that just like an unspiritual way of doing it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I asked that question when I I, I thought, well, is this you know treating the church like a business? And this isn't the church isn't a business. Right. Um, and it was one of the first questions we got asked because it was a new idea. No one was doing this for church before. And and I think uh, many church trends are born in different parts of the kingdom. A lot of the more business oriented trends that the church uses uh, have come out of the U.S. So it's probably still a brand brand new idea for a lot of the non-U.S. Uh, population, including a lot of your listeners. I guess when when uh, I first started talking to churches and it was a brand new idea, I, I remember someone on a committee saying I was trying to talk them into using us to help find their pastor. And a wonderful woman who was in charge of prayer ministry said basically what you just said. Well, we're going to pray and we're going to trust Jesus. And then an old guy that was on the committee raised his hand, and said, hey, you know what? What do we do with our um, 
our offering on Sunday after it's taken up? Well, we'll get the you know get things in order to deposit in the bank on Monday. Oh, we don't just leave it on the on the Lord's table and pray for it all week. And you can see this little old lady going, Ugh. and he said, and so like we're adding that new building for the children's ministry. How are we doing? Well, we hired a builder. Oh, okay. I thought we would just pray about it and then I'll go start swinging hammers together. Well, we don't know what we're doing. We haven't done that. Oh, okay. And he went through three or four more manifestations of the same sort of thing. And, you know, he did a better job. I tried to hire him. I'm like, you ought to come work with me because you're doing a better job of this than I am. Um, but I guess it's, you know, what I think is really cool is when the people of a local church are freed up to do all the prayer and discernment that only they can do. Cause nobody knows a local church, like the people who attend that local church, you know, I'm never going to know that church as well. That's not. So, so what would happen if God used us to build a vehicle that removes a lot of the heavy lifting and the, I don't know, grunt work of a search and frees up the church members to really devote themselves to prayer and discernment. And they're not having to worry about scheduling an interview or writing a job description or those sorts of things. Uh, so it's it's taken a, a while for the church here in the States to latch on to a new idea. But I think it's we've hit a tipping point where it's very, very much the normal thing now. I think the pandemic actually accelerated that uh, acceptance of change. So, um, yeah, super question, one that I asked right out of the gate. And I'm thankful for that board member that uh, <laughs> helped me answer it. Yeah, that's good. So, I mean, I know that you'll have uh, in more recent years helped some of the the, uh, the larger churches as well. Some of the ones that perhaps over even over here we'll have heard of to be able to um, find new leaders. Um, so, I mean, uh, imagine you I think you were involved with like Saddleback after Rick Warren. Yes. Is that right? And yes. Uh, yeah, and and um, other other I mean churches we might have heard of, and it isn't always necessarily let's find a like for like for the former pastor because that's know, right. Yeah, so uh, you know how do you go about helping a church? Um, you know what are some of the, what are going to be the first kind of questions you might or one of your team might be asking a church to help them to be able to think into what the yeah. solutions look like for them. Well, I think. Uh, it's much more art than science. I've never seen anything more nuanced than the, the, the local church. Uh, you know, David said, behold, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, right? He was talking about one person. What happens when you put a couple hundred of those fearfully and wonderfully made individuals into an equation? It's, it's so nuanced. So I do, I do usually start when I'm working with a church on whatever the problem is that we're trying to solve saying, um, I don't know if any of you have been to counseling before, but I'll, I'll not forget the first day I went and the counselor said to me uh, before anything else was said, he just looked at me and said, so why are we here today? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you know, it could be we're here today because our pastor has been so faithful for the last 30 years and he's just gotten to a retirement age. We wish we could find another one like him 30 years younger. OK, or, you know, we. Uh, you know, served a church, Willow Creek, here in the States that had a great founding pastor who did amazing groundbreaking work, but but his departure was pretty messy. And uh, the 
the answer to the question there was, you know, what we've done up till now was great, but we need something new. And that starts the whole process of discerning. Okay, well, then it's almost like an archaeological dig. You know, you don't, it, you, you know, in an archaeological dig, you just take a layer of dust off at a time. You don't really go in with a backhoe and start digging recklessly. So you want to find out what's going on here. How's God using this this ministry and this time in this place? And and what does the next five years look like in terms of context? And how does God want to address that context? Uh, you know, a whole lot of things shifted with the pandemic where guys who used to feel up to the task of leading a very large church now don't. Um, I can't do TikTok and, and you know, Be Real and all that, whatever the newest platform is. I, I just want to preach to a small group of people and, and love them. So I, I think uh, the questions now, we're learning to ask more and more questions and not go in with presumptions. Um, there's just too much calculus. The church is 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 an amazing thing. It's a uh, I've got a pastor friend who says ministry is the most brutal job there is. <laughs> it's brutal and it's beautiful. And you know, some days you look at the at the church and you say, "This is such a wonderful thing. Anyone will want to come here." And some days you look at where the church is and you say, "Jesus, you just have really interesting taste in brides." Oh, <laughs> so but I think it's asking the questions. And, and you know, let me just say, if you run into anyone for any problem in your church, that's not just an elementary solution. I am getting so leery of people who have a cookie cutter, if that makes sense. You know, oh, here are the five easy steps to finding your next pastor. Here are the four easy steps to fixing your culture. Here are the, it, it's not that easy. It's not that easy. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Yeah, so good. And, um, you know, as I've spoken about this to various people, I, I get I do get people who contact me, I mean, over the years on a fairly regular basis. I think, as I say, possibly because just um, for some reason, I'm somebody that, that seems to know a lot of people. I'm connected in various ways just because I'm, I'm, I suppose I'm nosy about people. <laughs> um, and <laughs> I get a phone call of somebody saying, hey, we know we're looking for a new church leader or or somebody might say, well, I'm thinking of moving on from my church. Do you know anybody? How could we do, you know, and looking for advice and those kind of things. And and yet it, I think that very often the, the default version over here would be that people would just go to some like uh, a version of a notice board. It's not really moved on yeah. much. It just happens to be online um, where, you know, depending on the stream that they're in, if they're an Anglican, they might just look on the uh, the particular Anglican the Church of England newspaper job or, or if it was, uh, you know, the Baptist times, they might have things oh, oh, over here. We have um, things like new wine have their own, you know, and you have a little bit more nuance. But you're kind of looking in one particular pond to go fishing in rather than looking more broadly. And, sure. and then if you start saying, well, you know, I could connect you with something like Band of Bloom. And their first question is going to be, oh, yeah, but isn't that going to cost me? to do that where I, I can just put, you know, for, for, you know, I don't know how much it's going to cost 120 quid could get me some, uh, you know, some space on an online job forum. And why would I want to spend money on, on some search firm, etc. So 
Um, now, I've got some very good answers to that, <laughs> but I've got better ones. So, um, you know, maybe, I mean, mine are born out of bitter experience, to be honest with you. But if, um, yeah, what, how, how would you, what would your response be for, for somebody yeah, who say, I, you know, isn't that, how, do, how can I justify spending money on getting this new person in place? Yeah, well, you know, we've been very fortunate to have uh, some really great churches and ministries and schools ask us to do work for them. The work has gone well, and then we have raving fans. And they would tell you all these great things we did. But I think most of the time, the people that would say you need to spend the money on a search firm are, are saying it because of the pain they felt by messing up a hire. You know, I think I think that's, I, I, think, I think I heard the voice of experience when you were talking about uh, plenty of reasons because it's you know the most expensive thing you can do is hire the wrong person it, 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 undoing a bad hire is is making someone redundant in the uh, workplace is hard enough as it is but then when you layer in there this is you know church and jesus never fired anybody and he did he fired the fig tree and it was bad uh, but uh you know it, it's really hard to undo a bad fit and uh, when it's right, it's when it's done well, man, nobody remembers what it costs because it's just worth every penny. So I, that's pretty elementary answers. But uh, yeah, and, and I mean, of course, we can walk you through, well, you know, if the position's open a year with on your own or three months using us, well, the nine months you saved is, is that's that's worth every penny right there. there. There are a lot of little things I can say, but I think the big one is, you know, this is the church is just too important. Your local church is too important to the future of your community, hmm. to the health of the people around you and, and playing around with maybe the most important decision a church faces is uh, it might sound like the most, the best use of funds or stewardship, I think it actually borders on being negligent because uh, this is Jesus' bride and you ought to do everything you can to ensure that it's led well. And you get the right leader, it can change a church, change enough churches, you change a whole community. It's the, it's the chain reaction that can change the world. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, the right leader can change the world for the better, the wrong person, whether it's a senior leader or somebody who comes in, 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 in a sense, to the senior team, I suppose, can just cause so much heartache. I suppose, you know, let's get biblical on that. You know, people are going to, you're going to look at David, you're going to see um, somebody comes in like an Absalom figure. I've seen that so often in so and many. And Absalom, that's a great yeah. example because Absalom yeah. won the hearts of the people. Everybody thought he was a great choice. Yeah. The, the, yeah. You know, the verse that, uh, it's so funny when I was a pastor, you have verses that God calls to mind like, Nothing will separate us from the love of God, or I can do all things through Christ. When you do what I do in this weird little corner of the kingdom, that eccentric, I should say eccentric, corner of the kingdom that I work in, um, the verses God brings to mind are like, like this. There's a way that seems right to men, and it's a way that ends in death. And, uh, you know, you, you hear a preacher that makes everybody cry at the same time and smile at the same time. And then you hear, well, I know somebody who goes to that church and they love him. And all of a sudden you think you've become a pro at finding. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. And, and oh, my goodness, how the lines of tribes have blurred in our day and time. 
you know, it used to be if everybody's part of the Anglican movement, you go to the bishop, he, he or she makes a good suggestion and you move on. Now you've got a splintering Anglican movement. And that's true of every movement. The Presbyterians that I'm a part of, we're really good at splintering. We, we can argue with the best of them. Uh, but, uh, you know, you've got five major branches of the Presbyterian Church here in the United States. And then you throw geography and culture and socioeconomics on top of it. And you just get complex, complex, complex. Finding somebody who's a good guy or a good gal that's that's not cutting it anymore. This is it. This is it. You know what this is? This is a heart transplant for the church. And I talked to transplant doctors quite a bit when I was thinking about this years and years ago, because that's kind of what we're asked to do. And one doctor said, I said, what separates the best from the rest in transplant docs? He said, oh, it's it's not finding the donors. I mean, that's hard. It's it's the tissue match. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you can take a healthy heart and put it in a healthy body. And if the tissues don't match, it's a bad ending for everyone. And you can find a good pastor and a good church, but if they don't match theologically, culturally, socially, I mean, like there's just so many pieces. If, it, if the tissue doesn't match, then it's, you know, really, really messy. Yeah. Well, what an amazing analogy. I bet there's nobody listening to this podcast right now who can't in some way relate to that and you know if you've been in this game long enough as i have i can obviously look back and, and places i've been connected with in different ways where where that's been the case and it isn't as you say necessarily a matter of you know having a bad person or you know that comes it's like you know you can have a bad fit and that just nails it for me the tissue match just isn't right. It is to do with culture. Obviously, you wrote, I think, a fantastic book. You recommended Outliers before. I'm going to recommend your book, Culture Wins, to everybody who's listening. It's a absolute, it's, it, you know, it tells a story of Van der Blumen, but it also has some fabulous um, insights to help us to be able to think about, you know, getting deliberate about the culture that we are looking to create in whatever organizations we're part of and some kind of do's and don'ts and some lessons learned the hard way, et cetera. But, you know, what, how, what would your kind of definition of culture be? I know you define it in the yeah. book. What, yeah. What, what's yeah. And, and to be, uh, to, do, to get a little more in the weeds, the book was about how you create an irresistible workplace. So this isn't really the culture of the church itself. It's the culture of the people that are in charge of running the church. In some instances, that's 10 key volunteers, right? In other cases, you've got a, a staff of five, maybe 10, maybe even more people. So the question is, what, what is workplace culture like? Well, here, here's what I'm, what I'm, learning right now my best understanding of culture is you know if your vision is what you sense god has called you as a church to go do your culture is how you're going to behave with one another while you're doing that work so you, you oh we're all going to go take that hill for jesus this is what we're supposed to do the culture is almost like the family code for how we're going to behave, how we're going to interface, how we're going to work and relate. And the more you can understand what your unique culture is, because it's not like there's one good one. There, there's some key markers of health or um, toxicity. We identified eight key areas, excuse me, nine key areas of health and toxicity 
Uh, we even built a little assessment. There's a free version and a paid version. It's just theculturetool.com. And uh, I think we've had like 5,000 organizations go through it now. Uh, it's pretty remarkable. So there, there are some baseline, are we healthy here or not there? Um, but, but then there's a very specific culture that I think each team has based on how God's using them. I mean, the culture at Ivy Church is very different from First Presbyterian Church. One's not better than the other. They're just different. And, and if I could give one question that leaders I, might I think, ask. I think, I, think I, I think Ivy Church is better. I'm just going to say that. Just you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a sign that it's a good culture. That's a sign that it's a good culture. Yeah. Sorry, I just think the, No, that's, I, 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 just, I was going to say that the, I think the leader's responsibility is to make sure that the general cultural health of the place is constantly improving. And you'll go through seasons where one of those nine indicators is stronger than another. And any time a person exits or enters your staff, your culture changes. Uh, but, but that's the first job. Keep, keep us constantly improving in our general health. And the second job, which is the harder one, is unlocking what our particular secret sauce is in, in your particular expression of the kingdom of God. Our nine cultural values would not fit a lot of great organizations, but they're based on what we believe God's called us to specifically. And we've discovered those um, by, by asking this question. So we sat around and we said, all right, and this is a question you could ask yourself and then ask your team. Uh, when Ivy Church is functioning at its very best, what does your team do that's common to them, but uncommon to other teams around them? When your team is functioning at its very best, what habits, what behaviors are common to you? that are uncommon to other teams around you. Mm. And what that'll do is it, it starts to it starts to peel back how, when you're at your best, what's God doing? How are you behaving to, how, how are we going to behave while we try to accomplish the mission God's given us? And, mm. and that question starts to uncover it. And it's a long process. We, we were winning, it was really, it got a little ridiculous how many awards we were winning for best place to work, best office space, best company culture. Da, da, da. And my staff's like, we have to write a book now. I'm like, why? They said, because we're going to quit winning one day. <laughs> so, so I went and looked at all the culture books. Google has one. Mercedes has one. Uh, the department store here called Nordstrom has one. The Ritz Carlton has one. Uh, but they're all stories of their own culture. It's just a singular story. And so we said, well, that's, that's not helpful. Well, yeah, we'll tell our story. But Let's go study at least 100, we ended up with 150, organizations that are winning Best Places to Work Awards and see, are there congruencies, are there things that, that those groups have in common, and can we then kind of build a roadmap for people to be able to discover their own culture? Uh, if you look at the, the cover of the book, it's like a little laborness. And, it, and that's really what you're doing. I, I'm not giving you a cookie cutter. To, here's how to build your culture. It's here's how to discover what you can be when you're at your best. Mm. It's, it's a, for those listening to me reading the book, it's a similar kind of deal, as opposed to that Jim Collins, his approach, the way that this isn't, obviously there's anecdote, there's stories in there and it's well put together, but there's also data. There's, uh, you know, there's, 
best practice examined well by experts so that therefore you know you're not just saying i think i feel you're actually able to to, to demonstrate um the that there are some uh, yeah there's some soft skills there's also some um there's, there's some if we do this, this is going to help us. If we do that, this is not going to help us. And I mean, what, a couple of things I just bounce in that I really enjoyed from the book when I read it. One was that uh, a question that you know, it says you, at the end of it, in terms of many things now, you don't get to ask this question, I don't think, the way you are positioned in the organisation, but you have asked that question. If you're not doing it, somebody else will right at the end of a process, you know, because you'll talk about how people come into work for Van der Blumen, that you, you'll say to them, look, we have a particular kind of crazy round here. And yeah. And to be able to, you know, really push back in the final stage of somebody when it looks like maybe everything's all the boxes are being ticked. This seems to be the right person. But to some extent, somebody needs to kind of backstop that a little bit and really ask the hard question like, look, we're not going to change everything because you come here. We, you know, That's we right. are you're coming into an existing culture and there may be some things that you really don't like. So let's be really clear about them. And uh, there's the, I love the honesty of that, you know, and the way that you, is that, is that right? Is that the way you kind of phrase Totally. That? Totally. I tell you, Anthony, the mistake I made as a young leader was always trying to hire the best talent. And, you know, I, I, I hired a bunch of really talented people at once um one time in my career and i and i remember i never really asked the question how are they going to fit in with the existing culture and how are they going to fit in with each other and how are they and i think now that i'm older and don't know as much as i did when i was 31 um uh, <laughs> I, I think it's far easier to teach someone competencies than it is to teach them how to fit into a culture so i think i think in my experience most of the time our best culture fits that we've hired fit from day one. They, they share the same kind of crazy. And maybe I've got to teach them how to do the part about running a student ministry or teach them how to do the part about recruiting and retaining and training volunteers. You can teach those things, but you cannot teach innate behavior. And uh, so I don't know that you can teach culture. So we actually probably spend more time hiring for culture than anything else. That doesn't work everywhere. You know, I don't care if my brain surgeon is a jerk. I really don't. I just want him to get the surgery, right? You know, the, the pilot on my airline that I'm flying over to see you guys, I, I don't care if he's nice. <laughs> I just want the plane to land, right? But that, that's not the business of the church. Hmm. The church is not, uh, you know, about technical execution. It's about people. And uh, I, I think it means that for anything that's a Jesus-driven team, Leaders need to learn their culture and hire for a match for culture and worry less about competence. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I'll just say this. I think that over the years, I've been amazed at churches who've ended up hiring somebody that, I mean, to be the leader of the church that I wouldn't even want to really have a breakfast with. I, I, just, I mean, I, it's like, it's like I, you know, you can get some people who just are fairly obviously rude, who don't know how to be able to even speak to people kindly or nicely or oh and it's like guess what 
they're going to come and hurt people when they're in, put in charge of yeah. even if they've got a theology degree and even if they've got all kind and it's like actually you know i mean some of these things we can look we can look for for uh not just the the qualifications if you've got this kind of a degree and all those kind of things and you know but how 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 can how can you kind of assess those things in advance um so that yeah. you don't I mean, I, I, you have a particular Old Testament, again, illustration that I love that you mentioned in the book of helping people to uh, not get matched with the wrong bride. How does that look? Well, we say all the time, I think part of what we do when we do a search, God's called us to make sure that whether it's the candidate or the, the church, make sure nobody walks down the aisle with Rachel and then wakes up next to Leah. Uh, that's not cool. You know, so... Um, I, I, in terms of culture and culture fit, I think it starts with knowing who you are. You know, a lot of people, uh, North Point Church here in the States, Andy Stanley, fantastic church. They felt like they sort of knew who fit and didn't, but they never really had memorialized that. They got up to like 400 employees and stopped to say, we better figure out how to, to say what our culture is. And I'm like, you've got one of the best wordsmiths in the kingdom as your pastor can't you just let him go no they took a full year a full year of meetings and they're not they don't waste time uh, to figure out what were the six values that were theirs uh, and and once they had that figured out their hiring got a lot better because they could you see it if you read the book in every stage in an employee life cycle you're building and reinforcing those cultural values and that starts with when you're interviewing and you start to shape your interview around cultural fit rather than around competence. Like for us, one of our nine values, I and mean, it is we are kind of crazy about it, is responsiveness. We try and get back to people really, really, really quickly, which is hard when you're working with ministries that are in Sydney, Australia and the UK and you live in the United States. But it is our kind of crazy when we're interviewing, we're checking for responsiveness and we might have a really talented person, but if they're slow on the draw. They're just they're not going to be happy working with us. And we're probably not going to like working with them. And that doesn't make them a bad person. It just means this is how God's wired us up. It's what works. And uh, we need to to test for that on the front end so that we don't wake up next to Leah. Yeah. And that's I mean, that's just fair on somebody coming in. It, it, you know, if you're clear about who you are and, and what you're like, then then somebody can know that and they can come in and it's and it's clear. I mean, I remember you know, I say we have we've had our ups and downs, and I could tell you some stories which I won't be able to <laughs> about you know when things have gone wrong in terms of you know it was just mistakes we made. Maybe we could have you know with better interviewing with a little bit more time and care and prayer we we you know could have saved ourselves some heartache down the line and. And, you know, as you said, those things can be really costly, not just in, in terms of money, but yeah, money, but also in terms of the heartache and the pain and the yes. slowing down of the mission. You end up like, you know, kind of you can take it can it can effectively rob you of me momentum and years of progress and all those kind of things when those kind of things go wrong. And I, I, so and I've, so I've been doing this for you know, 27 years, so I know what that can look like. But at the same time, to be clear, this is what we're like. I, what, I, remember, I remember at one point um, looking on your site a few years ago in one of those down times in the doldrums and, you know, just spending <laughs> a little bit of time like, oh, you know, I saw, I saw on there, 
Huntington Beach. They were looking for it. So I was like, Huntington Beach? I've been to Huntington Beach. And it's a beach. It's like this. They said, you know, but, but then I looked around and also what, they, what your site does really well is it tells the truth because it says, yeah, this is what's great. But it also says, here's some hard things and here's some things we've gone through and they and, and like there's an honesty about about it so that people would know you know if you, you know whatever church it is you know we, yeah we've got um for instance we you know we had we, we're recovering from um a, you know pastoral guy the previous one got burnt out or we we've got a hill yep. to climb with regards to some finances or we lost you know a lot of people through the pandemic and just naming those things helps people to be able to make an accurate assessment whereas i think sometimes i read church jobs and every one of them seems to indicate that it's the greatest church that there ever was it really would be a tremendous privilege for anybody to be able to come and uh, and lead that church. And and like I read those, I'm like, wow, if that was the case, you know. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I mean, the honesty. You know, how do you nail people? I suppose to be able to come up with those kind of things. You know, yeah. What do you do to ensure that? Well, I you know the, I laugh because I've seen those job descriptions and you'd think, man, that this is just the greatest church there was. One of the churches I served, not in Houston, uh, told me all about that. You know, it's such a great place. They're, they were relocating. Uh, I ended up going there to pastor and they were talking about all these great new young families that were showing up. They had designed their next building, right? They just bought land and they did not include a nursery. Why isn't there? No, they didn't have any kids in that church at all, like none. So, they, so, so how did they, how did they, are they delusional? Did they, did, were they liars? Why did they say they had such great, it's because the people who tend to serve on search committees tend to be the people that love and believe in their local church more than anybody. And that's how it should be. But that's why you need an objective third party to say, let me communicate this in a way that, and frankly, because we're, a third party, we can just say what we want to say. And it's not meant as criticism. It's not, oh, you don't love your church. It's just, hey, here's who would love this job. Guess what? Here's who would go crazy working for these people who are going to heaven, who love Jesus. <laughs> but but there's, you might not like it here if you don't like X, Y, and Z. And, and I think what we've learned over the years is just, what are the questions to ask? You know, mm. and, and in a non-threatening way. What, what are the questions to ask? I, we, <laughs> We were helping a church many years ago now, and it was in New England, um, here in the States, and uh, congregational church, and what are you looking for in a pastor, you know, what's ideal, this, that, the other, what about male or female, because you know, you've got smart theologians on both sides of that issue around the world, and, they, and the chair of the committee, great business guy, said, I think it's... I think us having a female senior minister would be a, a great thing. I'm like, okay, cool. So um, the follow-up questions, he said, sure. I said, uh, it was a fairly large church. I said, do you have a list of, any, would you, have you had a senior female minister before? No. Okay. Do you have a list of any of the associate uh, clergy that, that have served, you know, in a, in a non-senior capacity that are female? And they're like, I don't, I don't think we've had 
any of those. And they, they don't have, uh, in New England, they don't have revivals. They have lecture series. So they had a lecture series. Uh, so you get this great endowed lecture series. Can you get me a list of the female speakers for your annual lecture series? You know, I don't know if we've had any of those. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. New subject. New subject. Um, what's the last time you guys made a, let's call it significant change here at the church? What was it and how did that go? And somebody across the room says, you know, a couple years ago, we tried changing the hymnals. And uh, we lost a lot of people. And so finally, this chair of the committee looks at me and says, okay, so, all right, I thank you for the questions. I now see what I couldn't see before. I think I would like to think we're ready to hire a female senior minister. I don't know that our our, our church can digest that right yet. I said, okay, great. So it's that kind of work, you know, it's not insulting the church. It's just like, let's see if we can get a really good look in the mirror so we can, we can do that tissue match. Right. And not have a a really bad uh, outcome. That's fantastic. So we're we're looking at um, some of these issues. I hope uh, later on in the year at launch when you're going to be with us. Uh, So excited. You're going to be with us again for that. And uh, I would like if we possibly can, before that to be able to put in another time when I, I, I kind of dig deeper on your new book, which I know oh. is going to be published, not by a, a Christian uh, publishing house. Um, it's going to be, because I know that you also write in the, you know, you're in different worlds and you, you know, you're in Forbes magazine regularly, et cetera, as a contributor there. Um, but you, this new book, uh, is entitled, uh, well, it sounds like the kind of book that my granddaughter would particularly like because of the title, but I, I don't I don't think it's her kind of book, really. It's just the title is Be the Unicorn. So yeah. uh, I, I, it's such an intriguing title. Just give us a little bit about it, but don't give us yeah, too sure. much. Can. No, no. Again. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the States, and forgive me if I don't know the translation or I'm using a metaphor that doesn't work, but here in the States, you know, the, have you ever hired somebody or worked with somebody on a team that is just unusually gifted? I mean, they're just unbelievable gift. Emma at Ivy Church, just like, wow, you know, that I want to hire her. I would love to tell you I've never tried to hire her, but uh, <laughs> you, that, so here in the States, we call that, that the unicorn. You know, it's a mythical creature. It's like this isn't real. And so for 15 years, some of the very best teams on the planet have paid me to go find their unicorn, right? And we've gotten pretty good at spotting who stands out in the crowd. Who's And, and what's really cool is we had a massive research project. So it's very data-driven, which is kind of a thing for me. And we asked the question, of the unicorns we've known and seen, do they have anything in common? And the answer is yes. And the really cool answer is yes, and they're teachable habits so now now instead of saying i can spot a unicorn now i can say i actually have a data-driven path to teach you to become a unicorn so you can stand out in the crowd you can be better at what you do whether it's for jesus or in the workplace or in relationships if you're scared about ai coming and taking your job if you're if the workplace is crowded the economy's a mess you will stand out in the crowd if you follow these 12 data-driven habits. That's the book, and uh, we, we can talk further about it and another time. I would love to. Uh, to me, it's just so interesting and exciting to be able to look at 
you know, I, I, no, I'll tell you why. It's because if anybody's listening to that and thinking, oh, it sounds a bit elitist or whatever, I'd just suggest they go and read the parable of the talents. Because mm. in the end, I I want to, yeah, I've got this one short life and I, I just want to cash in any talent, whether it's, you know, mm. I don't know if the Lord's given me one, two or five, whatever else he's given me or wants to give me. I want to do my very best because I believe he's the king of kings and he's the one that mm. to serve. And I just want to, to you know, go all in on, on doing the best that I possibly can for him. And, uh, you know, if there are, there's things that I need to learn and if there's things that, you know, that, then to be able to have maximum effectiveness for the kingdom, then I'm excited about that. So I would love it, please, when you come to launch. Could you really help us to understand something about that? I know that the book will be being released around that time, but you know, uh, we, we're looking at the king and the kingdom is the theme for this year's launch yes. catalyst org. And at the end, it's all about him. So even something like this, you could you you could think, oh, that's about me and, my, and uh, you know uh, the, the the best for me. But for Christians, we know that the you know the the giving me giving the best of me and making the best of what the Lord has given me in this life is just good stewardship of life. That's right. Because we are accountable to the King one day, and uh, we're going to stand That's before right. Him. So yeah, I am super excited to be able to to uh, you know can't wait to, um, for uh, hopefully please an advanced copy of that book when it comes to <laughs> absolutely absolutely and, uh, yeah. Fantastic, William. Uh, so great always to spend time with you. I'm going to review the notes I've made of our conversation and they're always going to be so helpful for our team. I know that whenever we have contact and I go back and talk to our staff team and say I was been on a call with you, everybody wants to know all the de detail of <laughs> how that works. Um, could I ask you, just as we're closing now, there's going to be people maybe, you know, on a treadmill, there's going to be somebody uh, in, you know, driving to work somewhere or it may be, a, again, it could be a church leader who's, Oh, just thinking, am I even in the right place? Should I be moving on? Or And that could be because they need to move on. Or, or maybe, you know, actually, they just need to dig in where they are. I don't know. But the Lord knows. Could you pray for some of our uh, listeners? Yes. And, yes. Uh, yeah. Right where they are as we as we round Absolutely. Out. And I'll encourage I'll encourage them. I'm honored to pray. I'd also encourage you to go to Google, type Vanderbloom and however you want. It will go to our site. We're, we probably have 3,500 free resources on that site. And if you do a search for, is it time to go? You'll, you'll read things that we've written over the 15 years that we've found to be helpful ways to understand whether it's time to stay or go. Um, so, yeah, but let, let me pray for those out there. Lord, somebody out there is wondering if they should move on or not. And I pray that you, um, well, I pray that you do what you said you'd do. You promised that your sheep would know your voice and that they would listen to it. So I'm, I'm going to pray right now that you speak with repeated and increasing clarity to those who are wondering. And that, that, that they go to bed at night, wake up in the morning and not have a shred of doubt about where you want them. And then, Lord, I pray that you you do what you said you do. You give them courage so they will listen to your voice. And, and I pray that everyone listening today would be <laughs> kind of like the, the Israelites in the Old Testament who probably looked up and saw your cloud move and went, oh, do we have? But they followed. And I just pray that in, in my life and in Anthony's life and everyone listening, that we, we have a clear sense of when you're moving 
and how we can follow as closely as possible. I thank you for my dear friend. Thank you for the chance to come back across the pond and uh, Lord to, to experience launch and meet more new friends. And uh, I pray that you would bless that conference in time and make it a time where you would speak so clearly that those attending would know their next step. I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you that you're the one that's going to finish this church. And I'm thankful that you called us to be a part of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Lovely to be with you. Looking forward to the fall.